All right, we'll go to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah, and we will look at Zechariah 3 and verse number 8 to start with tonight. The book of Zechariah, toward the end of the Old Testament, in the Minor Prophets, this is one of the longer Minor Prophet books, as it has 14 chapters. But we have been working our way through several of the Messianic prophecies as we have been concluding the year of looking at various Bible characters. And then we have, in doing that, been looking at some of these prophecies regarding the Messiah, specifically here in the book of Zechariah, and looking at some of these minor prophets as we conclude this series in uh, the year 2023 on uh, Bible characters. We'll have one more, Lord willing, next week. And then still praying about uh, what series I uh, want to and what theme. Uh, I've got a particular theme in mind that I've been praying about. And uh, we'll uh, use that for the year 2024, should the Lord allow. But we are in the book of Zechariah. Quick review. Uh, the chart I know is hard to see. But we are now post-exile, post-Babylonian captivity. So we would be in the 586 to 450 time range. And that is uh, down at the, uh, toward the bottom center, middle center. Jeremiah, who prophesied before and also after the Babylonian captivity, the exile. And then Haggai and Zechariah, whose ministries overlapped. They came with the exiles returning to Israel, and they were instrumental in helping the Israelites who had quit building the temple. Haggai came first, two months later, Zechariah, and they preached spiritual priorities. They preached the preeminence of God. They preached repentance. They preached warning, as well as comfort and consolation. But the main focus of Haggai and Zechariah's ministries was the rebuilding of the temple. 538 B.C., the decree from Cyrus that the Israelites, the Jews, could return to their land. 536, the first group came with Zerubbabel and Joshua the high priest. And they began building the city, began building their homes, began building the temple, faced some opposition and then they quit building the temple. So they kept building their homes. They planted their vineyards. And they were busy about their personal work and their personal homes. But they left the temple for 16 years. It had started and never finished. You know how it is to drive around town and see a building project start. And then it just sits and it sits and it sits. And you wonder what, what happened. Did the financing not go through? Did... Was there a, a contract that didn't uh, that got broken? Whatever the, the case may be. Well, in this case, they just faced some opposition, and the Jews became scared, became fearful, and lazy and indifferent, and they quit building the temple. So, 16 years later, God sent Haggai and Zechariah to prophesy and preach regarding the need to finish the temple and reprioritize their spiritual lives. And then, in 516 BC, the temple was completed, Ezra 6 and verse 15. This is a little bit of background information about Zechariah. We went through this last week. I'll just skim through this to get to our main points tonight. And there is an outline in the prayer bulletin if there 
as uh, a desire to follow through and the outline. We'll look at our main points here in just a few moments after the review. And if you'd like to fill in the blanks, if that helps at all, uh, you're welcome to use that. But Zechariah is a common name, 29 different men named Zechariah. It means the Lord remembers, second only to Isaiah in the number of Messianic references. And I forgot to research out the number of Messianic references. So Derek, I'm sorry you asked a good question and I failed to get that number. So no one's going to win the prize tonight. Sorry about that. But uh, there's only Isaiah that has more. Messianic references. And Isaiah has 66 chapters, Zechariah has 14. He, um, he was also a priest like Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Uh, there is uh, some uh, traditional historical thought that he was among the 120 chosen for the great synagogue, which was the forerunner to the Sanhedrin that was started by Nehemiah and led by Ezra. He was born in Babylon came in that first group of exiles, and he was in that group under the leadership of Zerubbabel and Joshua. Iddo was his grandfather, uh, Berechiah, his father. They are mentioned in, I believe it is chapter 1 and verse number 1. Yes, Zechariah 1 and verse 1 mentions his grandfather and his father by name. And his ministry began about two months after Haggai's, and of course they overlapped. Haggai's preaching helped to start the revival. Zacharias kept it going. The theme of his preaching was mostly a call to repentance and reassurance of God's future blessings for Israel, specifically in the person of the Messiah. This very temple, again, was the temple that Jesus Christ, the Messiah, would walk in. It would be improved and it would have some repairs and it would be enhanced by Herod. But this is the temple that the Messiah would, would walk in, would teach in, have his ministry in during his earthly ministry. He told the people this temple they were rebuilding would be the temple the Messiah would enter. And then there would be a future temple that the Messiah would inhabit. So there was a near and then a future fulfillment. It is also sometimes this book, sometimes referred to as the Apocalypse of the Old Testament. It's the most Apocalyptic, Messianic, and eschatological book of the Old Testament. As we concluded last week, once again, there would be, in a short time, 400 years between the Old Testament and the New Testament, where there would be no new divine revelation. They would have the Old Testament, yes, but there would be no new divine revelation. And Zechariah's main message in his call to repentance and his reassurance and helping continue to encourage the building, the rebuilding of the temple. What does he leave them with? The Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. And 400 years later, the Messiah would come. And John the Baptist, of course, would be that forerunner who would preach, Behold the Lamb of God who taketh away the sin of the world. He must increase, I must decrease. So uh, that is where we are at in the background and the, the context. So we will look tonight at Christ as the perfect priest, the perfect king, and the perfect prophet. These are four specific verses among many that 
are going to refer to the Messiah. But these are unique in that they portray the Messiah, predict and prophesy the Messiah, and describe him as the perfect priest, king, and prophet. Once again, we are longing for this kind of perfect leadership. Sometimes we would just be happy with average leadership. It's so bad right now. It's hard to find any kind of decent leadership. It's hard to find people, employees, who will come and just put in a good, hard day's work. Kelly's been working at the Hallmark store, and they had two managers leave, and it's hard to find an employee. Uh, One lady came and quit on her first day, threw her keys at Kelly, and was boohooing all the way out the door about how she couldn't couldn't handle this kind of work. It's, It's hard to find good work, good workers, hard to find good leadership. All throughout the Old Testament, there were priests, prophets, and kings, and they all had failure. They all had fault. And I've been reading through the book of Jeremiah in my personal devotions, and I I have just been once again reminded of the necessity and the responsibility as a pastor to bring godly spiritual leadership. I'm not perfect by no means, but it was in... One of the chapters I read recently that Jeremiah brought a scalding rebuke upon the shepherds of Israel. And I read through that chapter and it was just one convicting verse after another because the shepherds were such failures to the point that they, they in the one chapter I read, they were even saying things that sound just like what we hear in the 21st century. This is the word of God in Jeremiah is told to tell the people, don't listen to these false shepherds. They claim that this is the word of God, but it is not. When they say that it is, don't believe them. That is how strong the message is. And uh, there's warnings of the priests and the prophets and the kings. We see the failures in the Old Testament. Even the good kings like Solomon and David had failure. Uh, in their lives. So this is going to be our main emphasis tonight. For sake of an outline, uh, there would be, if we were to take the time to work our way through this great book, we would see eight visions and four messages and then two burdens. In those four messages are four responses. Rebuke for wrong motives, repentance required, restoration of favor, and fast becoming feasts. And then you see the Messiah in the burdens of Zechariah, his rejection at the first advent, and his acceptance at the second advent. So that brings us to chapter 3 and verse 8. Hear now, O Joshua the high priest, thou and thy fellows that sit before thee, for they are men wondered at, For behold, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. Notice it is in all capital letters. This is a name for the Messiah, for Christ. That is a name highly esteemed, an honorable name. It is in all capital letters, which obviously speaks even of the deity and the exaltation of the Messiah. 
Christ. But why the term branch? Why the word branch? Well, this isn't the only place where we see the name of the Messiah being called branch. Isaiah 4 in verse number 2. Isaiah 4 in verse number 2 also references the Messiah and refers to him as the branch. Isaiah 4 in verse 2. In that day shall the branch of the Lord be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and comely for them that are escaped of Israel. In Isaiah 4 in verse 2, the reference of the branch speaks of the Messiah's deity. But then in Jeremiah chapter 23, there's also a reference to the branch. Jeremiah 23 in verse number 5. Jeremiah 23 in verse number 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. Jeremiah 33 in verse 15. In those days and at that time will I cause the branch of righteousness to grow up unto David, and he shall execute judgment and righteousness in the land. In Jeremiah, the reference to the branch, the Messiah, and the branch, the title branch for the Messiah, speaks of his sovereignty, his sovereignty. So we see his deity, we see his sovereignty in Isaiah and Jeremiah. But in this case, the reference to the branch speaks to Christ, to the Messiah's priesthood, to the Messiah's priesthood. There is another Messianic reference in verse number 9, for behold the stone, and we know that is carried over into the New Testament, stone of stumbling, the rejected stone, and then of course the refuge stone that we see even in the Old Testament. But again, focusing on this one Messianic name, the branch, it is a term that is going to apply to the Messiah's priesthood. But why branch? Well, it's a symbolic term. It's a symbolic term that speaks of a new, unique growth that will come from the Davidic line. In the spring, we probably have those plants around our house. Maybe you have some perennials. It doesn't take but a 50, 60 degree warm spring day, and all of a sudden you'll see a little sprout, right, come up out of the soil. And you think about all the judgment, all of the failures and the curse. I believe it was the curse of Jeconiah. There's nobody on the throne of David. But Zechariah is saying there's going to be a new, a unique growth, sprout. That's the term branch here. Not a big, large branch, but a new growth. And he is referred to as the branch because he is going to be new and unique, but he's also going to be the greatest, the healthiest, because he is going to bring the fruit of salvation. He's going to grow with strength, with redemption, with salvation, and bear fruits for eternity. So we see 
the branch also acting as the intercessor for Joshua to stand before God with clean garments. As we go down into verse number 9, For behold the stone that I have laid before Joshua, upon one stone shall be seven eyes, speaking of completion, perfection, even of the omniscience of God and his um, intelligence. Behold, I will engrave the graving thereof, saith the Lord of hosts, and I will, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall ye call every man his neighbor under the vine and under the fig tree. So we see even a future reference to the millennial kingdom and Christ's rule and reign and into the eternal kingdom. So we see the context of chapter 3. We've only had a few minutes to look at a few verses. But we see the context in this chapter that the branch is the intercessor, making it possible for the high priest Joshua to stand before God with clean garments. Verse number 9, even, I should mention this as well, that where we read, I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. What is that a reference to? How will iniquity be removed? It's a reference to the cross. It's a reference to the, to, to the crucifixion. There's the branch, a new unique growth that is going to grow forth with a, a healthy and a victorious and a fruitful and a redemptive quality that will remove iniquity. There, there's going to be no weeds here. There's going to be perfection, completeness, the seven eyes, with God's redemptive plan, the seven eyes speaking of his omniscience and his great intelligence. This is God's perfect redemption plan that he is going to fulfill in this branch, the Messiah, Christ. Of course, Christ fulfilled this prophecy when he died on the cross for our sins. And because of his death, we can stand before God clothed in the righteousness of Christ by faith. And then there's another reference to the branch. Chapter 6 and verse number 12. Chapter 6 and verse number 12. And speak unto him, saying, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, Behold, the man whose name is the branch, and he shall grow up out of his place, and he shall build the temple of the Lord. Now this one takes us even to another individual. The only other time that we see in the Old Testament a king who is also a priest. And that would take us to Genesis 14 to Melchizedek. Priest of the Most High God. Good reason to believe that Melchizedek was as the king of Salem that he was one of the early leaders in Jerusalem in that area. Not much more is said about Melchizedek till we get to the book of Hebrews. And Christ is high priest after the order of Melchizedek instead of Aaron. And we don't have time to get into all the theology of that. It's a fascinating study. But the only other time that there is a reference to a king being a priest is with Melchizedek, who is a type of Christ. So we see here in chapter 6 and verse 12, he shall grow up out of his place and he shall build the temple of the Lord. His ministry 
in the temple. The centrality again of the temple. Has that not been the emphasis of Haggai in Zechariah's preaching? And so we see the reference to priesthood. So perfect priest. And then let's go to chapter 9 and verse number 9. And we see the reference to Christ, to the Messiah being the perfect king. The perfect king. This particular reference is fulfilled, this prophecy is fulfilled in John chapter number 12. At what event? It's on the screen there. The triumphal entry. This verse, Zechariah 9 and verse 9, is quoted in John 12. As the fulfillment, as Christ enters into Jerusalem on what we refer to as Palm Sunday. Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. We'll see three aspects of Christ coming here. He comes as Messiah. Anointed one is the meaning of the word Messiah. He comes in, in holiness. Notice the word just in verse 9. He is just and he comes in salvation. We can even add that he came in humility, lowly, riding upon an ass and upon a colt, the foal of an ass. Specific prophetic fulfillment in the New Testament when Christ rides on that donkey on Palm Sunday into Jerusalem. So we see the reference to Christ coming as king, the Messiah coming as king, fulfilled in Jesus Christ in John chapter number 12. And then we finish with Christ as the perfect prophet. That takes us to Zechariah 13 in verse number 7. I know we're going through these fairly quickly tonight. It'd be nice to be able to do a whole series to the book of Zechariah and look at all of these Messianic prophecies, but we're just going to hop, skip, and jump kind of over uh, several tonight. Zechariah 13 in verse number 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow, saith the Lord of hosts. Smite the shepherd and the sheep shall be scattered, and I will turn mine hand upon the little ones. In John chapter 10, in verse number 11, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd. Zechariah 13, in verse 7, makes reference to my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow saith the Lord of hosts. The shepherd is Christ. Fellow is translated neighbor in Leviticus, and it means to have in common or share mutual laws and privileges with. Who else but the Messiah, Christ, shares mutual laws and privileges with? as God in the flesh. Of course, Christ. This is speaking to his deity, but it's also speaking to him being a prophet and having the message of the Lord and having a preaching, teaching ministry like a prophet. So this verse is saying that Christ is equal with God. Now notice the number of uh, imperatives. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd. Now that imperative there has to do with a sword and a, 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 a smiting 
uh, awake, O sword, against my shepherd and against the man that is my fellow. So this Messiah, God in the flesh, he is smitten, verse number seven. O sword, smite the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This is hard for us in our minds to completely understand and to comprehend, but it was God's divine plan that Christ die for the sins of the world. And it pleased the Lord to bruise him. Isaiah 53 and verse number 10. Now, were the sheep scattered in the sense of the disciples not staying close? We know John, Peter, relatively close, but there was a scattering. Okay, so there's a fulfillment there in that sense. But the point is that there is the equality of this shepherd in Zechariah 13 and verse 7 with God, who is fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. So Mark 14 and verse 27 quotes from this verse. Mark 14 and verse 27. So we jump ahead as we come down to the end of our time. Mark 14 and verse 27. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended because of me this night, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. So Jesus quotes from this verse, we see that the shepherd, the reference, of course, Jesus being the good shepherd, neighbor, fellow, equated with the Lord of hosts, God, Jesus obviously is making reference to himself being the shepherd that is smitten and whose sheep scatter. So it is clear then that this is a messianic reference that could be speaking of none other than Jesus Christ. And we see him as the perfect prophet. So that brings us to the end of our study in the book of Zechariah. And I'll just go ahead and leave that up there just in case you were finishing up, maybe filling in some blanks or or something there. But we are taking a lot of time this month to look at various Messianic prophecies. I personally have found it fascinating. And I just love how Scripture is unified because we have one author of Scripture, God himself, who, yes, gave men the privilege of recording the inspired word of God, but it is such a encouragement and it is such a validation of our faith as there is multiple attacks upon the word of God right now in so many ways from so many different angles, but we consistently see over and over through these messianic prophecies that God's word is true, that the Bible is God's infallible, inspired, infallible, authoritative word. There is no other book like the Bible. None. Nothing even comes close. This is Messianic prophecy fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Hundreds of years, but fulfilled even down to a donkey who the Messiah would ride on down to the very words of Christ. And if this prophecy isn't true, then that makes Christ a liar. 
The very words of Jesus Christ, quoting from Zechariah 13, once again brings validation to the word of God and upholds the integrity of God's word and the person of Jesus Christ. See how all this is tied together. And it's so fascinating. I hope it has been an encouragement to us as we've worked our way through these various passages. Thank you for being here tonight. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will uh, be on our way. Lord, thank you for our church family. Thank you, Lord, for the integrity of your word, the authority, the inspiration, the infallibility of your word. As we see these verses, we see these prophecies, Lord, it, it can't help but assure us once again of our faith, of the authority of your word, that we can rest in the promises. We can stand on the promises of God. And Lord, may we live that out. We pray for many who will be traveling. Pray as we meet with family and friends and guests, as we come back together to worship on Sunday. And Lord, as we have various get-togethers and family gatherings, we just pray that you'll give us opportunity with the gospel. Pray that you'll minister your grace to, to many who uh, we'll greatly miss loved ones. We think of even the Vectors and the Holtz who lost loved ones recently and uh, the Lex family as well as Allison's family. Just be with them as well as others in a special way. Dismiss us now, Lord. We pray with your blessings. We pray you bring us back safely together again on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for being here. Enjoy some fellowship and have a good night. We'll see you on Sunday.